I do need to start this morning by um, making a correction. You know, every once in a while we get up here as pastors and we want to faithfully teach God's word. And every once in a while we, we get things a little uh, skewed or we maybe misstate something. And um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ken was speaking and um, he made mention of my golf game. Do you remember that? Were you here two weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago. And uh, I think he almost left the impression that, like, I don't even really work. I just golf. And that that uh, I golf a lot, that I'm this great, phenomenal golfer. And, and I just want to just put any misconceptions to rest. I've golfed like five times this year. I think it was the first time I went out with my son. The second time I went out with Pastor Ed. Now, Pastor Ed is a really good golfer. So if you want to, don't want to be embarrassed at your country club, ask him to go because he does golf all the time. Um, <clears throat> actually, no, he doesn't. He, uh, he's just really good. And uh, I think it was the third time I went out with Pastor Ken and a couple other guys from the church, and I beat him. So there you have it. Uh, that's what it's, uh, I think that's maybe where his, uh, his desire to kind of share about my golf game is, but it's really not very good. Um, which doesn't say a lot about Pastor Kenzen, does it? <laughs> I had to get you back. Anyways, you know, uh, church life, um, there is a church calendar, and we have major events throughout the year that we, that we uh, reflect on, obviously, Good Friday and Easter and then into Advent and Christmas and those kind of events. But in, in, in many ways, church life kind of follows the school calendar. And so as we turn the page from summer to fall, we find ourselves ramping up at church as well. Fall is a time when new things uh, start up. We have children's programs that, you know, kick off and youth ministry that has fall startup. Most small groups that we have at TCC, they break for the summer, and now in September and October, they begin to meet again. And so the fall is a really good time for us to remind ourselves what church is all about. And as Pastor Ken, or Pastor Ed mentioned at the outset, we've just started a new series of messages called That's a Stretch. And during this series, we just hope to kind of, you know, exercise our minds and expand our thoughts about the important characteristics of a church. And last week, Pastor Ken had us discovering a life of worship. And next week, he'll focus on discipleship and, and, and how we experience significance by following Jesus. We'll also look at serving and then having a mission as ambassadors to this planet. But today, we're going to consider the importance of connecting, of community, of fellowship. We are going to discover how relationships are essential to our lives, and they are, in essence, our life support. Uh, these five characteristics, worship and fellowship, discipleship, serving, and mission, are like fingerprints of a church. Every church should have them, but they'll all have unique expressions in each of them. The church, as it is described in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it had these five fingerprints. Listen to these verses. Just try to place yourself back in that place and during that time. This is a picture of the, the first community of believers. Luke writes, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, they met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what would a church look like today if it, if it had those characteristics? And we experience community in that way. What would TCC look like if we were all committed to experiencing deeper levels of community and authenticity? What if we really did life together? Maybe not exactly the way they did in the, in the, in the early church, but, but, but at least absorbing and living out some of the principles of, of that community. Is that even a reasonable expectation for the church today? As I thought about this, I, I really felt like I needed to just step back and just do a little bit of background and teaching on just what is the church, like so that we kind of have this background understanding about that. And so what is the church? The Greek word for church is ecclesia, which literally means called out. And it reminds us that the church is made up of those who have been called out to follow Jesus. And not only have they been called out, they've been called together. And the emphasis throughout the Bible is the relationship that God has with his people. And so sometimes you will hear the church referred to simply as God's people. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter writes, But you are not like that, for you, he says, are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And throughout the scripture, the Bible uses metaphors or pictures of the church that help us to understand this, this idea that we are living in relationship with one another. Pictures like the bride and the bridegroom, Jesus being the bridegroom, the vineyard and the owner or a flock of sheep and, and, and God is the shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd. There's the kingdom and the king and there's the, the building and a, and a temple and where Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. There's the body of Christ where Colossians, uh, Paul writes, verse chapter 3, verse 15, where we're just members of one body. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 31, just kind of unpacks this. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? And the, the, the body of Christ is really perhaps the, uh, the most common and the most prominent metaphor for the church. And for good reason, because it helps us to understand that Jesus is the head. And so he is the one who is responsible for the growth and the direction of the church. As pastors, we're under shepherds. And then for all of us together, um, every member of the body operates uh, under his leadership, Jesus' leadership, and in dependence on each other. It's just a great analogy to think of our physical bodies. And even in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know, can, I, can, I, can we just say to the hand, we don't need you? No, we, we need every part to, to function, function properly and to function well. And so it emphasizes this mutual relationship and mutual responsibility that God's people have. Another picture of the church is that it's God's family. And I like this one because it just, it really um, just emphasizes the, the, the really neat thing about the church. And, I, and we heard Ryan say that a couple of times, especially at the end, you know, TCC is home. And, and what is home? Home is where family 
lives. And Paul writes to the Ephesians and tells them they are all members of God's household. And, and, and we call him our father. And, and so we're brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, remember that song, you're my brothers, you're my sisters, so take me by the hand? No? Everybody over 50 gets that. But, uh, um, but each of these pictures here, this long list, all of these metaphors, they just reinforce the fact that each of us who are in Christ are part of his church, his family. And therefore, we are part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. Right? So we have the same dad. We have the same king. We have the same shepherd. We have the same bridegroom. We're part of the same body. We're part of the same building. We're called out. We're called together for his purposes. And he adopts us as his own. A little phrase that I like to use to remember really what the church is, is simply this. Church is not when and where, it's who and what. I didn't get that on the slide, but you get that? It's not when and where, it's who and what. In other words, you didn't come to church this morning or come to the church. Church doesn't happen at 10 a.m., like that's the when, or uh, church isn't at uh, 1751 Town Center Boulevard Northwest. You know, that's the where, right? The church is who we are in Christ. And we have a purpose together. And Peter, the verse that I read, just talks about it. It just says, to show others the goodness of God. That's our role. As we go about our everyday lives, we want to just show others the goodness of God. And we do that together, connected to one another. As we gather together here, yes, on a Sunday morning, but we don't stop being the church throughout the week when we're not meeting together like this. Just one quick thought about this. I mean, if you've ever had the opportunity to travel to other parts of the world, perhaps you've gone on on a mission trip and you meet followers of Jesus, you know, in Peru or from Chile or, or in El Salvador or even from Syria. And there's, there's an instant connection, right? Have you ever noticed that? And why is that? It's because we're family. We have the same dad and we're brothers and sisters. And so that extends across cultural and geographical and racial lines. We're brothers and sisters. But you know, It's not easy being the church, especially in North America. I think there are certain cultural forces that threaten it, that that kind of push against it. And maybe you've experienced some of this yourself, but the church really has to be countercultural when it comes to some of these things. Let me just illustrate this in three ways. One is just individualism. Have you noticed that we live in a fairly me-dominant culture, that it's all about me and what about me and my needs? We're taught that, you know, the great purpose of our lives should be to become, you know, self-sufficient. We don't ever want to depend on anyone else or bother anyone else. Uh, Just think of some of the magazines that you might see at the magazine rack, right? You know, there's life, it's just sort of in general, and then there's there's people, and then there's self. I don't don't know if they have a a me magazine yet, but it's probably coming. Uh, There's I everything, right? I mean, Apple's really bought into this, iPod, I iPad, iPhone, i iMac, i everything, right? It's just, it's everything is me, myself, and I. And if our culture had a theme song, it might be Frank Sinatra's, right? I did it my way. And when we get to the end of our lives, that's what we want to be able to say. Well, I just was my own person. I did it my way. And that 
my friends, is actually an obstacle to experiencing true community and living as part of of God's family. Because it's hard for us then to admit that we're needy. We don't want to bother anyone else. And when asked, you know, well, how are you? We often will claim to be just fine. When in fact, uh, we may be aching inside. We don't own up to our weaknesses very well. And simply put, you know, there are no lone rangers in the Christian faith. Because if we belong to Christ, then we belong to each other. Another force that kind of pushes against the church being the church is isolation. We live very fragmented and often lonely lives. We, we drive up to our homes. We push the button on our, on our garage door uh, openers. We drive into the garage. We close the door behind us. We head into our homes without any possibility of having to interact with anyone else. And have you noticed that even in crowds, there can be so many lonely people? I, I used to, as, when I was much younger, uh, deliver the Edmonton Journal and yes, there was a paper edition. I started actually when they still did it in the afternoon, so I'd have to rush home from school, sometimes between practices and that, quickly get it done and head back to school for, uh, for sports, uh, whatever it was. And, and um, I did it as fast as I could because I knew the faster I could do it, it actually meant that I was making more money per hour. And, um, and if I couldn't do it, I paid my sister to do it. I, of course, took a little off the top for administrative purposes and such, but... But I had to, um, at that time, go out and collect money from people. Did anybody, when they were like way younger, deliver the journal? Am I the only one? Yeah, I see a few guys. Do you remember that? So you'd have this little collection book, and there was these cards in it. And each card, you'd write the person's name. And then there'd be these little tabs that you rip off. It was like a receipt. And so you'd go door to door, and you'd collect your money. And, and that's basically then the journal would charge you for the papers, you'd pay them back and you kept the difference. Well, I realized very quickly going, that takes a lot of time knocking on doors and collecting money. And, and they had this thing called prepay options. And, and so you get people to pay for the year and you never had to see them again. You just ran by, threw the paper on the door and kept going. And just down the street from us, there's this older lady and I was going around and I was actually, every time I collected, I'd say, you know, have you ever thought about the prepay option, blah, blah, blah. And, and she looks at me and she goes, no, I'm not interested. Oh, you sure I can't convince you, whatever? She goes, no. Because if you didn't come by every two weeks, who would I have to talk to? I was just a little guy, and I just remember going, "Uh, really? Is that what it's like? But that's maybe your neighbor. That's the person you live next door to. They live in isolation from one another. There's a lot of lonely people. The church is the antidote to that. Consumerism, right? The drive to just have more and more just drives us further apart because having more just creates more opportunities that will consume our time. We often don't have time then for relationships. You know, we have our toys, so we want to use them. There's nothing wrong with those toys. Just invite people along to use them with you. But, but I think all of this stuff is just summarized in a song. I, I got a lot of songs in my head today. Um, but, but Simon and Garfunkel's I Am a Rock, Do you remember this song? Here's another old song. Think about it. This is what they're saying. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and loving I disdain. Isn't that sad? I am a rock. I am an island. 
a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. So are you with me so far? Okay, right? God calls us to himself. He calls us out. He calls us together. And, and, and the church in this context, we're his family, and it's within the context of the church that we can and should experience deep levels of community and connectedness. But the culture that we live in just kind of pushes and threatens the ability for us to live that out. But in spite of those cultural influences, I believe that there's this longing inside each of us to be connected, to belong. I mean, just think of even like social media these days and, and kind of how that's taken off. But it's, it's trying to fill a need that can really only be met by person-to-person contact. I mean, you can have a thousand Facebook friends and, and still be lonely. You, you can have a thousands, uh, you know, a thousand followers on Instagram and, and still be lonely, right? You get the picture, no pun intended. But just deep inside each of us, there's this longing to love and to be loved. Deep within our souls, there's a cry for relationship. John Ortberg, in writing about community, says this. He says, our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. Do you think, that's, do you think relationship with God and with others is absolutely vital? So why do we get connected? That was all introduction, sorry. Um, Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12. Great passage on relationships, about connecting and the importance of it and, and why we should be connected. Let me just read it for you. It'll be up on the screen here. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this verse gets used at, uh, at weddings, but it's much broader than that. I think it has great application for us to think about it in terms of relationships as a whole. And the key principle here is that very first phrase in verse 9, two are better than one. That's the bottom line principle that here. Because that longing is a real thing because that's the way God created us. He created us for relationship. We, we were hardwired to want community, that God created everything, and he stepped back and looked at it and said it was good. And then when he was finished creating it, he looked at it all over again and said it was very good. But then he looks at man, and he says something very interesting. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he goes from... It's good to, very good to, it's not good. And so bottom line is, it's just not good to be alone. In fact, when you think about it, they, I don't know if they still do this, but solitary confinement is seen as a form of punishment. Even in prison, we're going to remove you from the community of all the other inmates, and we're going to stick you in this cell all by yourself, and that'll teach you. It's a form of punishment. And we're created to be sociable, to be in relationship with others. And there really is no pain like the pain of loneliness. And in contrast to that, Solomon says that partnership, that community, th- this is way better. It's, it's the answer to loneliness. Companionship, having someone or, or several others to share life with is way better than being alone. And he goes on then to give four reasons. 
Number one, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. They have a good return for their work. If one draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds, you might think that two of them together can pull 16,000 pounds. In fact, they're more likely able to pull like 24,000 pounds and even more if they're trained and spend some time together. Two pulling together is just way more efficient than one pulling on his own. So to be part of a church community, to connect together, results in mutual benefits. When we worship together, pray together, we pool our resources, we can do way more together than we can do on our own. A number of years ago, um, Tina and I had an opportunity to, and just Tina's from Cleveland, and south of Cleveland, there's an Amish community there. And they understand this. I find this fascinating. When one of the families needs a new barn, uh, the entire community shows up. Okay? Have you ever seen pictures of a, just a good old-fashioned barn raising? Have you seen this? Look at this here. I mean, they're like ants on this thing. And I don't even know how they do it, but they, they, this is part of their tradition. They know how to do it. Because they do it over and over and over again. When somebody needs a new barn, the entire community shows up to do it. In fact, if you're interested in this, um, um, so, so the point of this is it's just a good return, right? They're mutually benefiting from this experience of community. So they go to help the others because one day they themselves might need the help. So that's a good return. Uh, if you're looking for something that's really kind of cool, there's, I found this in study, researching this, a, a YouTube video that's like three minutes of time-lapse photography from a 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., and you'll see the entire barn built in a day. Now, they might have to do some finishing the next day, but it's virtually complete. It's absolutely fascinating to watch because it just speeds along, and you're like, how are they, how are they, whoa, and there it is. But that's a good return. This is community, you know, in an extreme case, I understand that, but but they're working together. Um, There's a great documentary on Netflix, and I know some of you have seen it because you told me about it, and I watched it. It's called Living on One Dollar. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Fascinating little um, uh, documentary about four friends who set out to live on just a dollar a day in rural Guatemala, and they want to do this for two months. And there's incredible lessons and challenges that they, that they encounter. But one thing they presented that really showed that two, or in this case, 12 families can have a retur- good return when they work together. And what it was, was instead of each family saving for an entire year to buy a wood-burning oven for their home, they each saved, like I think it was like $12 a month, and they pooled those savings together each month. So every month, a family got a wood-burning stove. So at the end of the year, they all had their stoves. It wasn't like, and, and after, year, after month one, one family had it, month two, and I'm sure they even shared those. Then. Well, you've got your stove now, let me use it. And they just went through the year and they just helped each other out. Great example of community sharing and living together, doing life together, and having a good return for their week. I mean, think about it. How many of us had major projects around our house or yard, maybe even this past summer, Maybe it was a new deck or a fence or a lawn or some landscaping. And you did it by yourself. And you plugged away at it for days on end. Right? Well, that would probably be a contemporary form of barn raising. We just help each other out. So I just want to suggest to you that like, if you have an upcoming move, now is a great time to join a home group. Get to know a few people. 
and, 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 you know, they'll be there for you. They're going to expect that you be there, so don't leave the home group after you've finished moving. But, but get in a home group and understand the importance of this. They have a good return for their week. Secondly, he says, tour bearer one, because they can help one another up. Help one another up. Verse 10, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And so Solomon says that two are better than one because if one person falls, the other is there to help them up and vice versa. But pity or we should feel sorry for the person who is by him or herself and they fall and they have no one to help them up. Right? This is true in all sorts of applications. They say you should never go swimming alone. Why? Because you could drown. You should never go snowmobiling by yourself because you could get lost. You should never go you know, backcountry skiing by yourself or, or hiking. Have you ever heard the story of Aaron Ralston? Does that name ring, ring a bell? In April of 2003, he was hiking in Utah when a boulder was dislodged and it crushed his right hand against the canyon wall. Okay? Do you know where I'm going with this? It's pretty gruesome. But he had told nobody where he was going and so he knew that no one would be searching for them. He actually assumed that he was going to die there. He spent five days pinned against this rock drinking the little bit of water that he had left and decided that the only way that he was going to get out of there is if he amputated his own arm at the midpoint of the forearm. And so he started to practice making superficial cuts to see what it was like. Then he realized he didn't have a tool good enough to cut through his bones. So he figured he was going to die. He actually carved into the stone... um, um, uh, you know, the day he was going to die, he videotaped some goodbye greetings so that when they found him dead there that they would have something to give to, to, um, to his family. And um, he woke up the next morning and he decided that what he would do was actually break his arm. <laughs> and that's how he ended up. He broke his arm, used the leverage of the fact that the rock was there, cut his arm off, and then I had to hike out. And on top of that, he had to rappel down a 20-meter cliff, one-handed, and then hike out until he was found by a, a family um, from the Netherlands. So the moral of the story is, never go out hiking alone. But if you do, make sure you've got a good sharp pocket knife with you. <laughs> but seriously... Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And that's true literally, but it's also true figuratively. Right? Because we can fall sick. And if we fall sick alone, there's, there's no visits, there's no words of comfort, there's no prayer, there are no meals. Or we fall financially, we lose a job. And in community, we can help one another find work, maybe meet some immediate needs. Or falling into error, right? A a, a friend starts to believe something that theologically is kind of out there, and and you can come alongside them and correct them and bring them back. Or falling relationally. I mean, friends are going to see problems in our marriages probably before we will ourselves. And they can warn us, they can encourage us, and they can speak into our lives. Even falling into sin applies here. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Galatians, uh, in chapter 6, verse 1, says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Another song lyric for you. 
I'm going all over the place. Frank Sinatra, Simon, DC Talk, okay? Remember the song, What If I Stumble? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Will the love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? And what if I fall? I mean, what if? What do we do if we fall into sin? James writes in chapter 5 or 16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Confession of sins to one another is incredibly powerful. It brings healing and transformation. Sin causes us to hide and separate, which ultimately destroys community. But confession brings us back into community. We can come out of hiding. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German Lutheran pastor and theologian, he, he stood against the, the Nazi, he was basically a, a Nazi resistor in, in Germany during World War II, who was eventually um, martyred um, for his faith and the things that he was doing. But he wrote, if a Christian is in the fellowship of confession with a brother, he will never be alone again anywhere. Isn't that great? If a Christian is in the fellowship of confession with a brother, he will never be alone again anywhere. And confession is simply the naming of specific sins as part of the process of repentance and reconciliation. It's a reminder that that we don't just need empathy and healing. We also need to be cleansed and forgiven. As Bonhoeffer put it, in the presence of a Christian brother, I can dare to be a sinner. A sinner who is saved and forgiven by the grace of God. And when we experience that grace together, we share deep and hidden parts of ourselves. And that's when true community happens. Two are better than one. Because thirdly, they provide emotional and spiritual support. He says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep alone? Now, obviously, Solomon is clearly meaning physical warmth, and that's why this passage is so often used at weddings. I mean, in what other context might this apply? But it wasn't unusual for travelers in Israel's cold winter nights to to sleep close together to keep warm. But I want to suggest to you this morning that I think that this principle is true also in the spiritual sense. Because if you're in relationship with another person or a small group of other Christians, and one person starts to grow a little cold in their relationship with God, Or maybe they grow a little cold in their relationship with their spouse. You can step in and offer encouragement. And the same is true if you sense you have a divided heart or maybe there's some apathy that's starting to settle in. You sense that they've lost their passion for the things of God. And you can come alongside them and encourage them. And Scripture says, stir them up to love and good works. You see, our growth as a Christian... It absolutely depends on the support and encouragement of other Christians in our lives. I mean, think about your own journey. I suspect that there are times in your lives that you would mark when you've grown the most, it's when other Christians have spoken the truth and love into your life. When they saw something that you didn't, and they had the courage because they loved and cared for you, and you knew that they loved and cared for you, to speak up. See, we need others to keep us warm in terms of our devotion to Christ. So two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. They help one another up. They provide emotional, spiritual support. And lastly, they offer personal security. Verse 12, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Two can defend one another if there's just an enemy or a thief, and there's two of you, you know, uh, you should probably out overpower or outman that one. But one person resisting by themselves could be futile. I mean, there's just simply strength in numbers. And as a result, there's safety and security. And if you apply this again in terms of our spiritual journeys, when temptation comes and attacks come out of nowhere, when does that usually happen? When we're alone or when we're tired, right? That's when when Satan came to Eve in the garden, when he went to Jesus in the wilderness. For you, maybe that's when you're traveling alone. Maybe it's late at night. But if we share those struggles with others, they are in a position to help us, to advise us, to counsel us, and most importantly, to pray for us. I mean, you could insert there, instead of overpowered, maybe overwhelmed. Though one may be overwhelmed, two can defend themselves. Ever feel that way? Ever feel just overpowered, overwhelmed? How great would it be to have a small group, a circle around you, to support you and to carry you. Solomon just ends with that phrase, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Just again, that strength in numbers thing. If you take one twig, right? Put three or four or five of them together and try to do the same thing, there's strength there that is unusual. And that's what happens when we connect deeper in relationship. So now what? Let me just give you some ideas about how you can apply this because I know by now you're absolutely convinced of the value of connecting relationally with one another, right? Because it's just, you're, you're tracking with me, you're there. Maybe not. Let me try some more. Um, just start with welcoming one another. You know, um, we say this, we try to say this every week, right? We want to encourage every one of us at TCC, especially those who say this is home, we're family, to welcome one another. And if you're new here, you're only here first week, second week, third week, chances are there's somebody maybe even newer than you here today. Well, not if you're the first week, they might be here first week as well. But you get my point, right? There's just, all I'm trying to say is we desire to be a church that welcomes one another. And we have great opportunity to do that every week around uh, the brunch tables that we're going to have in just a few moments. But we have this rich and diverse con- congregation. We have people from different cultures. We have, we have widows that, 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 that need encouragement. We have new immigrants that are trying to find their way. I mean, we even have a few Americans in our congregation. And, and, and contrary to what you may have heard, they are nice people. Okay? I know I'm married to one. <clears throat> she told me to say that. Um, no, she didn't. She didn't. But just welcome one another. Like just, I, I see it, and here, here's my point. I see this happening, and it's awesome, week after week after week. But just like the Apostle Paul encouraged the Thessalonians, where he says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. So he's saying, your love is already there, but just let's just abound more and more. And so I see that we're welcoming, but let's make sure that we're welcoming everyone. Um, next thing, join a small group. Right? Our main small groups at TCC, we call them home groups. And, and these are mostly because they meet in homes. Um, pretty obvious, right? But join a small group. There's going to be some small groups starting up for ladies in October. There's some information in your Sunday news about them. Find a place to connect with others, that small circle. And there's an insert in your Sunday news today 
If you're not already at, involved in a home group and you say TCC is home, then, then get in a small group. We're hoping to launch a whole bunch of small groups in early October. So some of you have already filled out those forms, but if you're on the edge, today is the day to fill out that form to join a small group. Uh, thirdly, form a triad. We, we, we don't do anything with the programming. Home groups, we do organize, obviously, but triads, we just say, go out, find two other people of the same sex and agree to meet together. And there's a little form on the back information table that just says, this is a really important time because this is where you can share some of those things that you may not share in a larger group setting, but you can share with your life so that you can journey together. But form this triad. And I might even say this, start to serve. Because it's serving, whether it's in the kitchen or on a worship team, you're praying together. Yes, it might be once a month or, or whatever, but you just connect there a little bit and you get to know a few other people. Those things become bridges into other opportunities as well. So don't neglect the opportunity to serve as well. And so let me just close by saying this. I believe that to find our life support is where we have to experience connectedness, belonging, and community. There's just no other way. That's our life support. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of scripture, these ancient words that Solomon wrote so many years ago. It's a great reminder that just, man, we can achieve a lot of success on our own, but there is an emptiness. And so then to follow up with these great words, two are better than one, and to explain why that's true to give us reasons and for us to just see that we do live in a, in a world that pushes against all of that. Lord, where we have the ability to just go out and buy whatever we need, we, we have a hard time identifying with families that live in rural Guatemala and need the support of each other. But Lord, I pray that you would help us find ways and see ways to which we can apply these truths and live them out. And Lord, Above all, we don't do this just for the sake of getting together and enjoying relationships. We do this for the sake of getting to know you deeper and better. Because we want to be people who follow you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love you with everything we got. And love the other people that you bring into our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.